Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are in Chapter 7 of the Iowa Type Theory Commute. We just started Chapter 7, talking about meta-theory of type theories. And, and also, we can include meta-theory of typed programming languages as well, because there's some overlap between these two. And what is meta-theory? Well, the idea is, I mean, this comes from, probably the idea sort of comes from something like proof theory, where the idea is introduced by David Hilbert at the turn of the, you know, at the start of the 20th century, was that we're going to use the tools of mathematics to study logic, to study the basic principles of reasoning. And so proofs in, in proof theory, you know, proofs rather than being sort of informal mathematical communications or whatever, become now mathematical objects, certain kinds of structured uh, entities, and we can apply the tools of mathematical reasoning to them to, you know, to have some, to establish some meta-theoretic results. That is, you know, the, the proofs are representing, you know, proofs give you proofs of theorems, and these are meta-theorems. They're theorems about your whole setup for getting theorems. You know, and so that's where this term meta-theory is applied in type systems of, of uh, programming languages. And, and in type theory, that's where this is coming from. It's We're having theorems about our theories. And so those are theories, you know, sort of above our theories, hence they're kind of meta-theorems. And so, and this is an important subject in type theory. And... Uh, as I mentioned last time in our sort of introductory episode on the topic, the type theories impose, you know, typed, statically typed programming languages impose some fairly, you know, notable properties of programs, and they sh it should be confirmed that the design of the type system actually successfully enforces these properties. And so that's where you have programming languages meta-theory. I mean, that's one, one of the most prominent cases of programming languages meta-theory is proving that a type system for a statically typed programming language correctly prevents whatever kinds of bugs it's supposed to be preventing. Uh, now, as I was saying last time, for a type theory, though, we actually have, want similar pro properties that we have in type programming languages, but we also want some more because type theories are more powerful. <laughs> Where does that power come from? Well, it doesn't come from the computational side because programming languages are already, uh, you know, if you have a Turing-complete programming language, at least sort of, you know, if you're not talking, if you're not thinking too much about parallel computation or, heaven forbid, quantum computation, something like this, they're already as powerful as they possibly can be. Um, so, uh, you know, so it's not, we type theory isn't getting more power computationally. In fact, it has to restrict your power. There are programs that you could write in Java or JavaScript or whatever or untyped lambda calculus that you won't be able to write in a type theory that is sound under the Curry-Howard isomorphism, at least as sort of standardly set up. Um, there, there is some wiggle room. There are some ways around this. In Sedil, for example, I think I've already mentioned, we, you can actually write any program you want. You just won't be able to give them very interesting types. If you just throw in a top type to your language, now you could, you might be able to accept any program whatsoever, even ones that would be quite bad viewed as proofs, but you simply aren't able to view them as proofs because they just have type top. They don't have type, you know, proof of Fermat's last theorem or something like this. So, 
anyhow, but so, but generally, certainly, you know, okay, even in this case of a language like Sedil, which does let you write any program you want, but still at certain classes of types, you have to restrict and prevent some programs. There's no way around that. If you want to have a type, if you want to view some subset of the types as formulas and the inhabitants or the, the things that have those types as proofs, then you just can't allow any old thing because then you would not be sound as a logic. So you do have to impose some restrictions. So type theory is actually computationally restricted generally compared to a typed programming language or an untyped programming language. So, I mean, a typed versus untyped programming language, the typed programming language uh, is still Turing complete. You can write, um, but there may be certain kinds of programs, you know, there may be certain ways of expressing your program that can't be statically typed, but there's always going to be some other way of expressing your program that could be statically typed. That's what, I mean, Turing complete means you can, any, any program you can implement with a Turing machine, you can implement in some way or other, maybe not the way you had in mind in a typed programming language, a statically typed programming language. So, uh, anyhow, so type theories are restricting computational power and it, to ensure soundness. And in fact, that's one of the main properties, meta-theoretic properties we want out of our type theory is that at least for some of the types, the programs you write are normalizing. This is the standard approach and even in wacky Sedil land, uh, we do follow this. I don't, I don't really know uh, exactly of another approach for this. I mean, in the end, you have to you have to have things terminate. You have to have programs normalize for at least some uh, some part of your language if it's going to work as a logic. So, um, but anyway, so that you know, that's just a little reminder of what we're talking about um, in the idea of meta theory for type programming languages or for even for untyped programming languages. There's meta theoretic results we might wish to obtain. We can talk about those too. Um, or for type theory. And a good starting point for our discussion now that we have some of these general considerations out of our way is let's look at one of the most basic properties, meta-theoretic properties of a statically typed programming language or of a uh, type theory, and that is type preservation. Type preservation. So really, and actually, I guess we should, maybe we should start off by talking about the fact that Really, the property we're generally caring about is called type safety. We want to make sure, and it's really just some kind of soundness result that says, whatever your type system was trying to do, it managed to do it. <laughs> I mean, usually static type systems are there in programming languages to prevent certain kinds of runtime errors from possibly arising. You know, in a, in a dynamically typed language, you also prevent those runtime errors from arising by stopping execution when you detect that the problem is about to happen, the error is about to take place. If I'm going to in access an array out of bounds, and that's one that even in most statically typed programming languages you kind of have to punt on, uh, unless you have dependent types, when you can actually hope to reason about array bounds statically. But for most languages, that's a dynamic check, like in Java. Um, even in a dynamically typed language, you're going to check, um, you know, if you have C, which is an untyped which is a pseudo-typed language. It sort of pretends to be typed, but it's really not. Um, neither statically nor dynamically. <laughs> bad, bad to see. Um, shameful, shameful that functional programming still has to say, functional programmers still have to confess that, oh yes, if you need your code to be really, really fast, then sorry, you're probably going to have to use C or C++. Oh, embarrassing, disgraceful. I, I just 
really bothers me. We must change this. <laughs> Those languages should be consigned to oblivion. Um, they're horrible. So, uh, and functional programming is so, so much better. But in the current state of the art, I can't say that, oh, yes, yes, it's always at least as performant as C. No, no. In a lot of cases, functional programming just doesn't give you the performance that you might need. Very sad. Uh, anyhow, I've got, lost my train of thought in my lamentation. Um, uh, but yes, so um, type safety. So like array bounds checking is an example of something that you do dynamically. But still, you're not allowing your program actually to ex access memory off the end of an array when you're trying to do an array lookup. That's prevented either statically in basically only, you know, sort of research languages and dynamically in most every other language uh, that's uh, sensible. And so, um, so anyway, so type safety is this property that the goals of my type system have been achieved. <laughs> Whatever I was trying to prevent, downcast, incorrect downcast uh, situations in Java or an object-oriented language or um, just type violations of one kind or another that would let me violate memory safety, which is usually kind of the ultimate property that we, we actually want. Type safety is, is kind of a means to an end, for at least from the point of view of programming languages. It, uh, memory safety, we don't want programs to be accessing memory that they're not allowed to access. Uh, and so, um, so and type safety uh, in the recent past, recent meaning like past 30 years or so, has generally been viewed as sort of having two parts. One is type preservation. And that property says, if I have a program expression that has a certain type, and that program expression takes a single step of evaluation, then it still has that type after that step of evaluation. So it's saying types are preserved by computation. If you run your program a little bit, your typed program, Whatever type it had at the beginning, it still has it after you run it a little while, or run it all the way to completion. Um, so type preservation, because our types are certain kind of program invariants. They're sort of saying like this is always true. It's always true that if you call, like, say you have an int to int function, it's always true that if you call this with an int, the function, whatever crazy stuff it might do, if it does somehow manage to actually return a value to you, that value will be an int as opposed to some other type. And, uh, and so, you know, types give us these sort of invariants or properties of our, of our programs. And we want to know that as we execute those programs, those invariants still hold. I mean, that's what an invariant is. It's something that always holds during execution. So we want to make sure that our types are invariant under execution. That's the first part of it. Um, but that's not, that's not quite the whole story for type safety because that just says that, oh, yes, my types... You know, I still have the same type I started with as I run my program, but it doesn't tell you that the type really did anything helpful for you or that, that having that type gives you anything. It just says, yeah, yeah, you still have that type. You still have that type. That's great. But what do I get from having that type? And that's the progress property. Again, this is a, has become a quite standard and traditional decomposition of type safety into type preservation, and then something called progress. And progress is saying that um, this is just another way of expressing the idea that your uh, the type system you have, the invariants that you, if you've proven type safety, or type, sorry, type preservation, if you've proven your types are preserved by computation, 
then these properties always hold of your program. But kind of what do they actually entail about your program execution? You know, like this idea that, oh, they, they prevent you from doing illegal downcasts or something like that. Um, how do we actually express that? Well, the way that programming language theorists have, um, I think, generally standardly uh, reached a sort of standard agreement on how to express this is to say that your, um, your operational semantics, that is, your sort of like your interpreter for your programming language, it should never get stuck. It should never reach a state where it kind of doesn't know what to do. And where getting stuck uh, includes reaching a situation where you would basically be having a runtime error. Like accessing array out of bounds, that would be an example of getting stuck. Uh, you would not be, um, you would not, your program, we, the way we sort of formally model this idea that the type is, is preventing my program from doing something bad is we just say, well, um, your program should always be able to continue to run unless unless it's completely done, like it gives you a value. If it returns three or something, then it's allowed to stop. But if it's still not a value, then uh, pro the progress property says it has to be able to keep executing, where again, the idea is that we model um, runtime errors as sort of undefinedness of the semantics. The semantics just doesn't tell you how the program should run. And so we view that as having the program actually be sort of stuck. We just don't know what to do with it when it's doing um, something that the type system is supposed to prevent. And so that's how we, we sort of decompose the type safety in these two properties, type preservation and progress. And both of those are also interesting for type theory. And perhaps for uh, progress particularly is interesting to think about. It's a little bit different setting. Um, there's a little bit, some other points one could consider for programming language than just, for type theory, than just a programming language for progress. But I will talk about that the next time and talk a little bit about how does one actually go about trying to prove these properties about one's language design? Okay, well, uh, greetings from Iowa. It's kind of a gray day. Yesterday it was 60 degrees. It was really nice. So spring is definitely on the way. It's cold again today, but um, I hope all is well with you wherever you are, and thank you for listening.